The Guardian. Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. I'm John Plunkett, and coming up on this week's Media Talk... There has been contempt demonstrated by uh, the media, including primarily the press, but to some extent broadcasters as well, both for the judicial process and also, at times, Madeline's safety. The McCanns and the Dowlers give damning evidence to the Leveson inquiry, but was it a mistake to schedule them alongside celebs like Hugh Grant and Steve Coogan? I cannot, for the life of me, think of any conceivable source for this story in the, in the Mail on Sunday except those voice messages on my mobile telephone. Also in the podcast, there's about to be a lot more room on the daybreak sofa, but who's going to fill it? And... And so as you beat it into the curtain to more to find. And what do you need to look? Got to form in a formal way. Netware, rain and subtitles. It can only be one thing. The killing returns to BBC4. Are you watching? It's all coming up on Media Talk from The Guardian. Welcome to the show, and we're kicking off again this week with the Leveson Inquiry. If you thought the tabloids had it tough last time out, you ain't seen nothing yet. The parents of Millie Dowler and Madeleine McCann have given their evidence to Leveson, detailing their ordeals at the hands of the tabloid press. First, the Dowlers recalled their anguish after their daughter Millie's phone was hacked and her voicemails were deleted. First of all, you tell us that you were, you were phoning in to Millie's voicemail. Yes. Quite regularly, presumably, yeah. to see whether there was... Um, anything else yeah oh of course all the time we were at first we were able to leave messages and then her voice mail became full yes and then you rang and then you just got the recorded um we are unable to right leave messages at the moment and this was gone so i was used to hearing that and um we'd gone up to the bird's eye building to um look at the cctv and we were sitting downstairs in reception and i rang her phone yes and it clicked through onto her voicemail so i heard her voice yes and i was it, it was just like i jumped she's she's picked up her voicemails bob she's alive and i was mm. just it, it was then really then it was over to the mccanns who delivered a devastating two-hour testimony you know i'd, I'd written these words and thoughts at the most desperate time in my life most people don't have to experience that and it was my only way of communicating with madeline and for me, you know, there was absolutely no respect shown for me as a grieving mother or as a human being or for my daughter. And it made me feel very vulnerable and, and small. And, uh, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And it, it didn't stop there. I mean, it's not just a one-day thing. I mean, that whole week was incredibly traumatic. And every time I thought about it, I just couldn't believe the injustice. And, you know, I actually just recently read through my diary entries at that point at that week and I talk about climbing into a hole and not coming out because I just felt so worthless that we've been treated like this. Alongside all of this, there's also been a smattering of stardust at the High Court with the likes of Hugh Grant, Steve Coogan and J.K. Rowling taking the stand. Dan Sabber has been watching it all. I spoke to him in the Guardian newsroom just a short while ago. The witnesses of the week run Dowsley, Kate and Jerry McCann. I mean, every shade of opprobrium has been heaped on Kate, Kate and Jerry McCann. We heard the terrible story, for example, about how the News of the World got a copy of, of, of Kate McCann's diary seemingly from the Portuguese police and just printed it with, without her permission and without any notification and 
and something that you know she felt very much violated by. Very interesting thing Lord Justice Leveson indicated today, that's on Thursday, that uh, uh, he is... Uh, uh, he's minded to sort of have a little inquiry into how that, that particular episode happened. So very much wider than phone hacking. Uh, you know, every sort of excess of the press is on show this week. Uh, who's in focus? Photographers and paparazzi, the poor performance of the PPC, PCC, so much going on. Uh, and there have been various attempts to broaden the accusations of phone hacking beyond News International. Hugh Grant, for instance, uh, said the Daily Mail uh, has been guilty of phone hacking, a charge that, that the paper denied. Is the mud sticking, do you think? I, I think this is much more contested terrain, actually, uh, you know, and it is quite interesting. There have been a, one or two, not many, rather loose allegations of f- phone hacking. Yes, one from Hugh Grant, who was actually a very good witness on Monday uh, because he just had lots and lots of experience of being kind of, you know, traduced, if you like, by the, uh, uh, by the popular press. And uh, uh, you know, Grant made this allegation. He said there was this particular story. He thought that the male could have only got it by phone hacking. And, you know, the male retaliated pretty aggressively and even described Grant evidence is mendacious which is a pretty strong word given that Hugh Grant is on a you know Hugh Grant is on oath and actually Lord Justice Leveson took a bit of a dim view to that spat as well but anyway we've seen some allegations about phone hacking but not very much proven at this point and that is a clearly a clearly very contested terrain we expected many things from Leveson but possibly not a discussion of Paul Dacre's sex life well, no, that was fun. That was Max Mosley today, who obviously, uh, uh, you know, it shows in a way the sort of the crazy world that we're, we're, we're living in this regard, which is a lot of the people giving evidence to the Leveson Inquirer, people have been sort of, quote-unquote, turned over by the, uh, by the popular press often because of sexual indiscretion. So in the case of Max Mosley, famously, in the, uh, he was photographed and filmed secretly participating in a sadomasochistic orgy with a range of women, and uh, uh, that was published in the News of the World and the video was released on the website and led to a sort of famous privacy case. Anyway, Max Moses' argument, of course, is that um, what people get up to in their private life, as long as adults are consenting, is, you know, fair enough and no-one should worry. But Paul Dacre, he he observed, took a rather sort of dim view of Mosley's exploits and said as much and Mosley took the witness stand to sort of say today uh, that uh, he, he, he wondered himself about Paul Dacre wondered about his sex life indeed uh, uh, wondered that whether Dacre was being very imaginative and when he was surprised by what he Mosley got up to and said uh, what about the Daily Mail website it's got pictures of what was the phrase he used I think Miss X in a bikini and Miss Y in a suntan and, uh, uh, and made the most important point which is that I don't know what Paul Dacre gets up to uh, in his spare time, so to speak. But but the question is, I don't try and burst into his his room and film it, and then publish it. And that that strangely put is a compelling point. Uh, an associated jumped all over Hugh Grant's comments, but uh, no word on whether Dacre's going to be jumping all over Max Mosley's uh, suggestions in that area. Right, it's early days. I think Mosley's only a few hours off the stand. I think there'll be some kind of reaction, but it's going to be a sort of in part this is going to be a sort of messy dirty business this inquiry and indeed so it should be actually because the point is to exhume what's sort of wrong in the press and to do that you need examples and you need a bit of debate and you probably do need a bit of mud to be thrown I mean, it must be said the judge is taking, taking a bit of a dim view for some of, the, of the more, some of the more petty exchanges, but nevertheless, this inquiry won't work if there's not a bit of theatre like this. And is it odd having Hugh Grant follow the parents of Millie Dowler and the McCanns after Cheryl Gascoigne, for instance? Uh, does that jar a bit, or is it just a sign of the breadth of the inquiry? Well, it does jar a bit, but that's the sort of that's the nature of what, what the conversation they're having and the nature of the popular press, where we've really got two categories of people 
at, if you like, who are sort of really been at the sharp end of these successes, and they are celebrities of various kinds, and they are sort of know, victims of crime or people unexpectedly sort of caught up, typically in something to do with crime, but caught up in some, you know, major major public event. And 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 I think. You know, so yeah, those are the people we need to hear from. And if you don't hear from the people in the sharp end of a media storm, you don't know what's happened in the last ten years. And meanwhile, we learn that James Murdoch stepped down as a director of The Sun and The Times. Is is that as dramatic as it sounds? Yeah, nothing like as dramatic as it sounds. I think the the, the key point here is yeah, it's much more of a tidying up operation. Uh, one thing I say that is interesting though is one of the companies he did step down as director from is Newsgroup Newspapers, which is the company that if you want to sue the sun or or you did sue the news of the world that was the company you had to sue and so and is the company's a defendant in a in a in a trillion you know phone hacking actions um i use that figure roughly uh, and so i think not being a director of that might have some legal convenience i mean which i'm not too a sort of so you know you know might be smart from that point of view but there was some loose talk that it might make it easier for news international to sell the sun or the times just don't believe that word of that and last question because this is a story to be written what's next to Leveson? What's next at Leveson? So next week we've got Charlotte Church and Anne Diamond on Monday, I think, so that's good news for um, serious-minded types. We have got Ian Hurst, which gets you into the whole world of computer hacking and Northern Irish intelligence, and that will be one for all the conspiracy theorists, actually quite interesting, important, but complicated. Later on in the week, The Guardian's very own Nick Davis is on Tuesday with the news former... And news of the world man Paul McMullen, who's probably going to say a word or two about Hugh Grant, and that promises to be uh, fun. Plus, Rich Pepe out from the Star. Um, not, and I think later on in the week, possibly Alistair Campbell, but we're not quite clear on the timings. But he's coming soon. So, the great and the good, and the otherwise, they're coming in big numbers. Let's put Lord Leveson aside for this week and move on to a few of the other media stories making the headlines. Here in the pod for this section of the show, I have The Guardian's TV and radio editor, Vicky Frost. Hi there, Vicky. Hello. And Helen Zaltzman from the Sony Award-winning, and you can't say that enough, frankly, <laughs> Helen, Sony Award-winning Answer Me This podcast. Thank you, John. Oh, well, it's good to see you both. Uh, and we're starting off this week with a bit of radio, which is uh, Johnny Vaughan has been sadly shown the door by Capital Radio after nearly eight years. He's become a bit of a fixture on the London commercial radio scene. The official line from Global is that the 45-year-old Vaughan, you may remember him from The Big Breakfast, is uh, too old for his audience. But still, the manner of his departure seemed a little hasty. Chris Tarrant took forever to say goodbye, whereas Johnny Vaughan didn't actually say goodbye. One day he was on air, next day he wasn't. Um... Vicky, what do you think? 45 years old and too old for Capital? I don't really think so. I think Chris Moyles is still at Radio 1 doing his thing that I really don't love, but lots of people do. Yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, he's fine. And unless I think you're you're really out of touch with your audience, it sounds a bit like an excuse to me rather than Mm. an actual reason. Whenever I hear a story like this, I think, who said what first? So I, I would be really interested to know whether, you know, how hostile this exit is. Yeah, well, I mean, on the surface, everyone's, uh, you know, happy about it. Um, Richard Park, who's the uh, programme boss over at Capital, told him his two-year deal wouldn't be renewed. And uh, Johnny Vaughan said, uh, well, uh, I won't hang around. I'll, I'll head off now. But, I mean, it's, it came as quite a surprise, I think, because he's been number one in London now for the last nine months. Um, and it took, him a, it took him a while to get there. It was a, a tricky start taking over from, uh, from Chris Tarrant. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, Tarrant is uh, probably much more well-known even now than Johnny Vaughan, despite Johnny Vaughan having done this for eight years. And also there was all the constant change of the female presenters because when they got in Denise Van Alten and she didn't last very long and she was quite frank about really not enjoying co-presenting with Johnny Vaughan, that didn't make him look great. The big breakfast magic wasn't quite there. Sadly not. Maybe uh, it was just transient. 
As you've alluded to, Johnny Vaughan has had a lot of co-presenters there at the time, and now now they're looking for a new man. Vicky, you've already mentioned uh, Chris Moyles. He was uh, meant to be in the frame for a job at Capital a few months ago. Do you see him going to Capital, or is the age thing going to be another barrier? Is he would he would he give up the joys of Radio One for a, a London commercial breakfast show? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I wouldn't if I were him. I mean, I'm kind of interested in what age Capital thinks its listenership is because I don't necessarily think it's a very young station. You know, it hasn't been historically, morning, yeah. but uh, it has been driving younger, and I think they've got their they've got their eye on more of a kind of kiss audience than they have on a radio tour audience, which oh. makes you think they're going to get someone younger. Mm, but Lisa Snowden is almost forty herself, and they're keeping her for now, aren't they? Lisa Snowden, yeah, she's been quite a big success actually. Yeah, Helen, are you, you, are you a fan? Uh, I can live without John, uh, but to be honest, the Today programme was more my wheelhouse at that time of the morning. Uh, but I saw her at the radio festival talking about what she brought to the table of the Capital Breakfast Show, and she said, "Well, I'm really good at having the Mickey taken out of me." which didn't strike me as a particularly valuable talent, but good for her. Other names have been mentioned include uh, Vernon Kay, everyone's favourite, Dermot O'Leary, Steve Jones. Hmm. What do you think? Well, he's younger, isn't he, than, He's got that than any of those him. other names you've mentioned. Uh, and Vicky, where now for Johnny Vaughan, do you think? Do you see a space room back on, the, uh, back on TV? He's very of a certain time in terms of television, I think. What, um, late um, 90s? Yeah, a bit, you know, and I can't really quite see where he'd fit back in in terms of television. Um, and I also much prefer him on the radio. I think he's he's got, I mean, he, you know, that sort of five live kind of... Obnoxiousness. Yeah, but in, in a quite listenable sort of way. I much prefer him on radio, and I'm sure there are lots of people who would also quite like to put him on their radio stations. I'd be surprised if there wasn't, but I'm telly, I just couldn't quite see where where he would fit really well i read something this morning positing that he was sniffing after daybreak which firstly would give the lie to him saying well i had to leave the breakfast show because i was too tired getting up at that hour of the morning well it's funny you should mention daybreak helen it's as if we scripted this uh but there's a (laughs) there's a bit of a scrap to fill the bottom shaped grooves on the daybreak sofa adrian charles and christine bleakley are are leaving this show in the new year um vicky who do you think is going to take over as helen mentioned there johnny vaughan but i think probably is a bit too lightweight for a tv breakfast show Uh, i've seen two names mentioned in dispatches um natasha kaplinski possibly and eamon holmes but he uh, he's ruled himself out today by signing a new deal with sky news oh really yeah yeah breaking news he has ruled himself out um i think it depends what Daybreak actually is, or what they want Daybreak to be, and um, God knows. Sadly, we know what it is, don't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But it's a family show. An unholy mess. But, um, you know, uh, they still don't... I, it depends what they want it to be. And I guess, you know, if they're talking to Sean Edwards, and if they're talking to Natasha Kapolinski, then the idea is to make it more BBC Breakfast. I'm not... Sean Williams, we should say. Sorry, sorry Sean Williams. And um, it's, the idea is to make it more BBC Breakfast, which might be a good idea, Apart from that, already is BBC Breakfast. I mean, I think Daybreak has to find its own identity and maybe hiring presenters who have presented other breakfast shows is not quite the way to do that. Although I'm not sure I have an answer of what is the way to do that. What do you think, Helen? What do you think? Don't take on BBC Breakfast. Plunge down market. That would be my advice. Yeah, I think so. I think at that hour of the morning, if you're not watching news, then maybe you do want something brightly coloured, magazine not too taxing. And you want the orange guy live from LA, whose name escapes me. He exactly. Drops up on, uh, you want Ulrika Johnson 20 years ago and Lorraine and people like that. Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine, Lorraine Kelly still does a, a very good job after Daybreak. Why not give her the main gig? Presumably she doesn't want it because she's got a pretty nice gig as it is. Fling the money at her. May- yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly I think more of Lorraine wouldn't be a bad thing at all. I mean, she's exactly right for that audience at that time. You've got to learn from that and work out who else you could... F- build round her maybe that's the thing to build round her rather than sort of just trying to parachute in other people willy-nilly 
Hell and yeah, Daybreak was a bit. It's a disaster from the very first show, wasn't it? From the opening credits, that looked a bit like Facebook. <laughs> boohoo, boohoo, because they massively overpaid for these people that I think people are at best fairly ambivalent about. And uh, there was an excellent bit of hyping by Christine Blakely's agent, who I think she then ditched, didn't she, uh, to get to get this gig. So I don't really feel that sad for anyone involved. And Adrian Charles has still got the sports gig on ITV, so I think he'll yeah, Christine's be fine. after Dancing on Ice. Yeah, I think Christine. It's a bit more. It's a bit more of a tricky proposition because she's more replaceable than him. I think. But well done, Eamon, because by putting his name in the frame, I'm sure he's managed to up his guide salary a bit. Yeah, indeed, yeah, it might not be a coincidence. Yeah, um, yeah cunning fellow. But uh, we did talk a lot about reality TV last week, and what we didn't mention was the return of MasterChef, which had a slightly troublesome time in its celebrity incarnation on BBC One. Not not least because it's uh, wonky scheduling, uh, scheduling even. But uh, Vicky, what's going on with the new voiceover? What, what's happening? On It's MasterChef The Professionals, isn't it, this time around? It is, and, and it does seem that MasterChef The Professionals is the only MasterChef that is now worth watching. Um, mainly, I think, because of old Laser Eyes, Michelle Rue Jr., who is just marvellous in it. Laser um, Eyes? Laser Eyes. He has a special Laser Eye look that he does at people. I see, like Blue Steel. But different. That's <laughs> yeah. how he greets cheese. He just looks at it. <laughs> My God, I've got to watch this show. No, he is great. He is great telly. And his sous chef, Monica, is sort of furious with everyone and sort of like, you couldn't put that before my boss. And very cross all the time. And, and it's really great TV. Um, and it's on at a sensible time. It's not being over-promoted. It's not hidden away on daytime. It doesn't involve loads of people I've never seen who are meant to be celebrities. It's just an altogether. It's sort of stripped back to what MasterChef was when it was good before the BBC flogged it to death in every format there's ever been. I wonder whether they're just trying to uh, separate the professionals by having the different voiceover to India Fisher. I believe it's Sean Pertwee. Is it Sean Pertwee? Doing it. Um, king, king of the voiceover. Exactly. But maybe they, they're sensing that uh, things went off the boil with the other strands of MasterChef. Off the boil. Yeah. Oh, that's not even intentional. You're brilliant, yeah. that's why you're here. But I just wonder, what, what is Greg Wallace doing there? Because of all the people involved in all the MasterChefs, he seems the least professional of them all. All he says is that something is soft and lovely or, or that it's not. Greg, come on the show next week and tell us why. Increase your vocabulary, Greg. He is actually hilarious, the MasterChef, the professionals, because he always speaks after everyone else has spoken. So he just agrees with whatever Michelle or Monica say. It's hilarious. You should watch. He never disagrees. Well, like I, Tess Daly, she just parrots the last three words anyone else has just said. Well, I totally agree with both of you there. I'll tell you that. Uh, but um, sad uh, breaking news uh, from Liverpool, uh, where Trinity Mirror is going to turn the Liverpool Daily Post into a, a weekly title. Um, it's going to be published on a Thursday from the beginning of the new year. Uh, this is a result um, of falling sales, but... Um, the good news, I guess, is that the brand will survive, albeit on a weekly basis, as it has done for the last um, on a daily basis for the last 156 years. Um, Vicky, uh, sad news. It is sad news, actually. Um, I think, obviously, newspapers like that serve their communities, but also they do train young journalists. And you worry about, you know, if we see all our local daily papers close, or you know, or certainly reduce. Uh, where actually the new generation of journalists come from and whether you basically end up with you know rich kids who can do long internships which doesn't seem to me like the best place to end up in yeah the old days used to be advice to aspiring journalists would go and get work experience on your local paper but now it's more likely to be uh, start a blog or maybe a podcast helen yeah help yourselves there's enough podcasting to go around for everybody <laughs> uh, finally this week Yes, it's the return of Danish crime drama The Killing to BBC Four. 
Now, uh, Vicky, as Winston Churchill didn't say, not since The Wire has so much been written about TV show watched by so few. Um, well, and Mad Men. And Mad Men, and Pan Am, although actually no one's written about that either. <laughs> uh, I, I understand. Because it's uh, maybe B-minus at best. Mm, I think you're being generous there. But Vicky, tell us about The Killing too. What would you give this if you were marking it in a... A to F kind of style. <laughs> I probably wouldn't mark it in an A to F style. All right, out of ten. Um, well, it's all quite right. I'll different. move on. Sorry, you, <laughs> so you talk. I've only seen, you know, we've only seen a couple of episodes, so it seems a bit harsh to give it a mark yet. Um, it's quite different from the first series in that it's much more a political thriller, far less a straightforward whodunit. I mean, you know, the sort of the whole thing about the first series that it was twenty episodes, basically following trying to investigate the murder of one girl, which is what made it so very different from a lot of other crime drama. Uh, for Bridleson 2, a bit different, um, much more of a political th- thriller, more politics, sort of capital P involved. Um, Sarah Lund, though, is back in a different jumper, controversially. Right, yeah, for, for merchandising reasons, presumably. Um, Shift more products. Well, apparently, uh, Sophie Grubble, the actress who plays Sarah Lund, she said that basically... She felt like the, ac- the, the, the jumper was owning her. She, the jumper was wearing her rather than what? she was wearing the That's jumper. That's a whole new series, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a local newspaper Mind story. <laughs> yeah. and, um, Snicking her lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The script so, is unravelling. So, oh, oh, oh. So um, she sort of, she wanted to ditch the jumper this series, um, but actually it does make a comeback, I think, uh, what, the, in the episode four. It does, right, it does, it does right. make oh a comeback. It right. does really yeah. smell after being worn for 20 days on the trot in the first series. I think people have asked her about that, and she sort of says, but, you know, I wear T-shirts and things underneath. They're quite scratchy, those jumpers. <laughs> yeah. And so very Vicky, expensive. On a, on a serious point, you know, series two, has it jumpered the shark? <laughs> um, I don't think so. And viewing figures were it, the viewing figures were very interesting. Actually, it did enormous viewing figures for BBC Four, and um, and much bigger than the first series. I think because I think the first series you did have people watching it at the time, but you've had a lot of people watch it on catch up or watch it sort of when it was rebroadcast or on box set. Um, so it does feel. Uh, it, it is much bigger than Mad Men, but yes, obviously, there's so much written about it. Um, but it is also only 10 episodes, so at least we'll be through it in five weeks and then people won't be writing about it still. Um, Helen, you part of the Killing Gang? Not yet. I'm keen to become a part, but I only really became uh, aware of the previous series when it was nearly at the end. And I thought, well, I can't start now, so I've got to get the box set, but that yes, has uh, yet to transpire. But over the winter, it'd be an optimal time to watch it. I'm banned from watching it in my house because my wife thinks that because it's called The Killing, it must be quite violent. Uh, <laughs> and she doesn't base all her verdicts on the, on the, the name of the TV show. But um, can you reassure that it's not excessive violence? Because she tends to get nightmares about this sort of thing. No, it's not excessive violence. Um, it's a bit more gruesome, actually, this series than last. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't really do scary things. And, you know, it's fine. There's lots of creeping around in the dark with torches, though. Oh, OK. Of course. Like always. the adventure game. Um, kind of yeah she doesn't watch the one show because she thinks there's only one of them and it's on permanent repeat (laughs) she takes these things far too literally Uh, and by the way why is it only 10 apps this time around budget cuts or you think as it was such a big hit last time why not do another 20 um well i went to denmark and interviewed the writer and he and i asked him and he said it was a 10 it was a 10 episode story arc um and so that was how long it was going to be and also i think with the first series great though it was there was a point where you know sort of about 14 episodes in 
I think where you did feel like, oh, and this is this week's red herring, and this is this week's red herring, naturally, because you were trying to sustain that story arc over 20 hours, which is such a long time. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that it's shorter. Although, I don't know, because we're getting it in double bills, it feels a bit of a shame that it's going to be over in five weeks mm. only. And a third series in the pipeline? Um, it's already, they're filming it now, I think. They're already knitting the jumpers. Yeah, another new jumper. Uh, well, OK, thank you very much to Helen Zaltzman and to Vicky Frost. That's it for this week. Media Talk is produced by Ben Green, and I'm John Plunkett. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.